Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. My guest today is Deb Brown-Marr. She's a sales coach, a public speaker, and the author of Sell Like Jesus, Seven Characteristics of Christ for Ethical Sales. Although she has worked with multinational and mid-level companies, her passion is to help small business owners create a sales approach that reflects their high-integrity values and yields a better customer experience. Hello, Deb. Welcome to Back to Basics. Hello, Leticia. Thank you for having me. It's a real joy to be here. Well, I'm very, very excited uh, to have you here because uh, we, a little backstory to our audience, we connected through LinkedIn, through one of those posts, uh, inspirational posts. I, I forget exactly which one, but then you share with me the book you've written. And I say, wow, this is powerful. Just, just the title is very powerful. So I'm very, very curious. And I'm a salesperson too. I'm like, this is going to be a great treat for me. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Let's get at it. I'm going to I'm going to learn from this and I'm also fascinated by your journey. So, I can never start an interview with asking my guests to share with us your upbringing, who you were as a child, what you were passionate about back then, and we'll go from there and take you into the journey. Yes. Well, I'll start by saying, you know, when you're a child, adults always ask you, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" Mm-hmm. Well, trust me, I did not say a salesperson, <laughs> as most people do not, because of the negative stereotype that sales has. But the truth is, God wired me to sell because at eight years old, I made these little potholders with loops on a metal loom, and I had... 33 of them, my mom said, I can only use so many. <laughs> so I got the brilliant idea to go around the neighborhood and sell them. And I sold out. Wow. So I had to buy more loops and make more <laughs> potholders. And what it did for me was at a very young age, I knew the thrill of making money for something that I had created. Mm. That's powerful. So I I have to, when I look at the, the reality of what I did, I have to say, I believe God put in me that desire to meet people's needs by selling them something that was going to help them. That is very good. Powerful, powerful. And I have a few questions about that, but keeping on your journey, so you, you kind of... There was the wiring in there. Did you study anything related with, uh, you know, sales or economics or entrepreneurship? No. (laughs) (laughs) When I was 16, I spent a year in Argentina as a Rotary Exchange student. So that's how I learned Spanish. That's a great opportunity. It was. It was fabulous. And it really 
changed the course of my life from the standpoint that it gave me a deep appreciation for seeing the world through other people's eyes and learning what's important to them. I mean, the first thing I had to learn in depth was the language. And with it, all of the cultural mannerisms and the things that only make sense because you live in Olavaria, Argentina, right? Of La Buenos Aires. So yeah, I ended up uh, getting a four-year college degree, and my major was Latin American studies. Okay. Of course, I should have been a teacher teaching <laughs> Spanish, but my high school class was so obnoxious to our teachers. <laughs> I really didn't want to put myself in their shoes and take that abuse. Uh -huh. So what I I hoped I would be able to work for the UN, but I had not done all my research. I did not know you need three languages minimum to oh, work. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Oh. So that was out of the question. And so what did I qualify to do? Customer service and sales, right? So I I ended up, it was probably in 1992, I got a sales job, ironically, selling online training hmm. to businesses. Wow, back then that was already like visionary. Yes, yes. Right, right. So computers were just really getting their stride. And so as I did the cold calls, I realized I did not have what it took to sell in that environment. So I got training and part of what I had to overcome was the high pressure tactics that were being taught. So I, I ended up on this long journey of reading and studying every sales guru out there hmm. to pick up what I liked from each one that I could feel comfortable working with people towards a common goal, which is hopefully to make a sale, but only when it made sense to both parties. Mm -hmm. Because the win-lose never works. Yes, absolutely. So over the years, what I realized was that the, the way that Jesus interacted with people during his ministry which many books have written, been written about his servant leadership qualities. Well, why not apply those qualities to sales? It's brilliant. Really brilliant. <laughs> and I believe the reason no one ever did is because some of the reactions I got when I said the title, Sell Like Jesus, was, how dare you say Jesus was a salesman? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can totally see that, but it's completely true. It's completely true. You have to sell people on your vision, on your word, on who, what you're about. Sales is something we do every day. It's not exchanging product or service for money, but it is gaining agreement, getting buy-in mm -hmm. on ideas, on ways of doing things, on where to go on vacation, getting your kids to pick up their 
toys, right? Yes, absolutely. There's some element of sales in all of that. Anybody that's married would agree to that. (laughs) Yes. Yep. Yes. So no, that, that, that's, uh, that's incredible. And it's fascinating. And, um, you know, as a salesperson myself, I identify in your journey because it takes getting your own style and your and what you're comfortable with. And uh, I've had so many conversations about the gray area, right? I call it the gray area. And that gray area is not necessarily a bad gray area, right? But, you know, because some people think gray area and they think, you know, bribes or something extreme. But I always say, like, for example, I don't lie to my customers. It's like who I am about. But if I know I can, if I'm selling something and I'm positive that we can deliver exactly as I'm promising, even mm-hmm. if maybe not just yet, I have it in my hand and we need some tweaking. And then some people say, well, well, that's the gray area because you don't have it. I say, no, I'm promising something that I know for a fact because I know our capabilities. I know what resources we have. I know I can come through for this. And yeah. so there's always that, you know, little area there that some people would see it as one. And I, I'm comfortable there. I'm comfortable if I can deliver on what I'm promising, regard, right. regardless of the back office and what needs to happen for my promise to to be achieved, then I can live there. What's your take in that, on that? <laughs> so we have to be able to deliver on our word. That's integrity. Mm-hmm. And so... It doesn't really matter to the prospect or to the buyer what has to happen in the back office. If I know that capability is there, then I'm comfortable making that promise. Okay, so I'm not that I'm from said from the expert, everybody. <laughs> if I have any hesitation that the back office can deliver, yeah, then here's what I'll do instead, Mr. Prospect. This is what I believe we can do. At this moment, I can't say I have it in hand. Mm-hmm. What I will do is give you the, give you my word that we will do this this way according to your preference. And if there is any sign, as soon if there's any sign that I can't do that, I will let you know. And you will be relieved of your commitment. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And uh, I think you said it in your book, and I love that part, which thank you again, you you sure. gifted me with, but you called Jesus the master communicator. And I think that's really, I mean, what a great way of saying it. And, and, and just what you explained right now is mastering good communication. It really is. It's being completely honest and letting everybody know what the options are, what the factors are, and giving them a chance to say yes or no. Because after I say that, if the person gets nervous and says, you know what, you go make it happen and then come back to me and then I'll give you my commitment, then I would agree with that. But what I did was be honest about the situation and allow the buyer to make their own choice. Yeah, That's what I talk about in the seventh characteristic is choice. Giving people choices 
and being willing to accept the choice that someone else makes. Because you know, you've been in these situations where you know you've got the perfect fit, the perfect solution. And for whatever reason, the buyer says no. They it love saying no. <laughs> it doesn't matter how convinced you are that it's the right thing. If they say no, they're the decision maker. And if you've done everything you can to show alternatives, to understand their point of view, to allay their fears, and they still say no, then we need to accept that and not push. Here's why. Because if I don't feel respected as the buyer, if and when my circumstances change, I will never come back to you. Yeah. But on the other hand, if I felt like you completely respected my decision and I have a moment of lucidity and I realize, oh my goodness, Leticia was right. <laughs> now they're not going to hesitate to call you. Yeah. You didn't close the door, which is also the door that's Jesus yeah. never closed the door. Yeah. He let people walk away. If you think about the rich young ruler mm -hmm. who said, what do I have to do to gain eternal life? And after some dialogue, the, the young man asked a second time and Jesus said, well, you really need to let go of your wealth. You need to sell everything you own, give it to the poor and then come follow me. And the young man walked away sad because it was a great thing that Jesus had asked of him. There's speculation by the scholars that that was actually the, the apostle Mark hmm. was that young man who did actually sell everything he owned. But in the moment, he wasn't quite ready. So many times we're dealing with timing. You know, traditional sales says you have to convince people to buy from you. I say, no, you don't. No, because the only person who can convince you of anything is you. Mm -hmm. it, it, if, if you think about the phrase, can I really convince you of anything? No. <laughs> no, I think. I, I might be able to bring some facts that you hadn't considered that allow you to change your mind and you convince yourself, right? So that's what we need to do as good salespeople, as good communicators. Man, let's talk about teenagers for a minute, because mm -hmm. I imagine some people listening probably have teenagers. Yes, absolutely. Adults, okay. They don't want to be told what to do anymore by mom and dad. Yet they don't really have everything they need to make good decisions on everything in life quite yet. Mm -hmm. So parents can no, no longer just tell the child, look, if you do this, you're going to experience these consequences. It's going to be bad for you. Don't do it. And expect the child to go, oh, you're right, mom. You're right, dad. No, it yeah. just doesn't work that way. 
It's almost they, like a good characteristic that they have, that they still want to explore and do it on their own. It is. Yes, absolutely. So how do we foster good decision making? We sit down and have a dialogue with them and ask questions. Have you thought about this? What about that? And what do you think the consequences are going to be if you go this direction? How about if you went that direction? Now, considering all of that, what do you think is going to be the best course of action here? And let them speak their conclusion. Now, it still may not be what you think is the right one. But at this point, if they're not going to do irreparable harm, would it not be better for them to try their way, learn from it, be there to say, hmm, interesting outcome. What do you think <laughs> like to change the next time? Not, I told you so. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Just in a, a few episodes ago, I share a story about how I got burned with a big sale I made and the customer. It was my first U.S. customer and they asked us a performance bond. And I'm not going to tell the whole story again, but bottom line is we lost money. And I work in the family business. And I learned that my dad told my mom that day that he agreed to do it. I won't, I stop having my name if we ever see this money back. Like he knew the day I, I, I was going to get burned. And of course I did get burned. It was a traumatizing experience for me. And, uh, you know, I always apologize that I'm sorry. And he say, well, it's like you got your master's from this experience. And I say, but, but I got my master's already. You already pay for that. Well, then the PhD and, and, and I share, and it was cheap because then you, your brother and your sister learn from it. So we divide the price in three. And I've always said, you know, I think that that's, I always try in my own parenting skills to remember that, you know, yeah, sometimes even burning is going to be painful in his case. I help him lose money, <laughs> but he said, he thought this is going to be a once in a lifetime experience. And he was right. I never was the same person again in business <laughs> ever. <a> good dad. <laughs> yes, poor thing. I still apologize every so often. Neat. But there's so what you were saying, it's so sales is so counterintuitive because you're right. They say you think it's sales and be aggressive and all and all you're sharing. And I do want you to to share with us a little bit of how was that transition from doing the sale and gathering all this knowledge that you're sharing with us and, and getting to that moment where you say, mm, I'm going to write a book about this, because I think <laughs> there's a lot of people out there, too that are gathering knowledge and they think, you know, they have this idea, like I, I want to write a book, but they say, but I'm not a writer and I'm not, I don't know if you perceive yourself as being a writer, you're a great one because I read the book, but what advice would you give in that whole, you know, let me go from doing the selling to now giving advice about how to sell? Yes, it's very different, very <laughs> different. And honestly, I was one of those who said, I'm not a writer. I excel verbally doing small group interactive workshops. So it's a combination of training plus coaching. So I'm always hearing from the audience, drawing from their knowledge, getting them to answer whatever questions I can 
and fill in knowledge. And then I come along and only provide the missing pieces Mm -hmm. because then it's, it's there, they're actively involved in the learning process. And it makes more sense because it's their content that I'm teaching from. So that's a very dynamic, fluid, back and forth, interactive process. Mm-hmm. Writing, it's me and my pen and the paper. Mm-hmm. Ooh, this is like, there's no audience. There's no, nothing to play off of. I've got to do both sides. What? <laughs> so it was a very difficult transition for me. And honestly, Leticia, I only wrote the book because I felt God prompting me to do it. And he gave me the title. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have picked such a brave, provocative title. But it's a winning title right. because that I think any publisher loves that. Like you had a winning title from the start. So, so <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. So it took me a total of seven years mm-hmm. to write the book. But my bottom line driving force is this. I want to shorten people's learning curve. It took me a long time and a lot of hard work and a lot of trial and error to get what I put in that book. I want my ceiling to be someone else's floor. That's beautiful. I want other people to be able to run faster, further, harder, than I was ever able to. And the only way to do that was to capture the essence of what I learned and and boil it down to something that anybody could implement, which is why I have at the end of each chapter, action steps, things you can do to practice, to put these concepts into real life. Because... Head knowledge doesn't change anything. It's our behaviors that have to change. And behavior change is the hardest thing in the world for anybody to do. It doesn't matter what we're trying to change, whatever behavior, it's hard. So, Absolutely. Well, that's, that's amazing. I love that you said I want my ceiling to be others people's floor. That's, uh, you know, and I'm grateful for that because I know I, I found your book very, very useful. And uh, even for you have a section like with the key points, just as reminders that it's great because you can always go back and, and you know, recenter yourself when you feel something's off. And I, I write a blog and it just today, actually, I wrote about urgency, you know, like sometimes in sales, yes. when you don't have that urgency feeling, things stall. And it's not that you're not working on it. It's not that it's not important. It's just that extra feeling like I need to, I need to stay on top of this, really staying on top of it. And, and it was something that I just recenter myself just with something I have written. So I think your Mm -hmm. book and and it will be that the link will be on the show notes so that everybody can find it and, and obviously uh, hopefully read it because it is full of great, great advice. And so you you know, propose that there are seven characteristics in how Jesus did his ministry that are really, you know, the same ones we carry on the sales process. And yeah. um, and I love that. And I definitely want you to share. You, you spoke about the seventh one. Uh-huh. And are there any highlights? In terms, you can name them all or you can get into the ones that you think are really juicy there for uh, in terms of advice for people. 
Yes. So I guess one of my favorites, I'll point to chapter four, which is characteristic number three, is preparation and setting expectations. So if you think about Jesus' life, he literally prepared 30 years for a three-year ministry. That's 10 to 1. When's the last time you prepared 10 minutes for a one-minute conversation with someone? Probably never. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we pretty much take for granted that we meet people, we talk to them, we do our best to convey our thoughts and ideas, but we typically don't spend time ahead of time preparing unless we know it's a very difficult conversation that we have to have and one that we don't often have to address. In those cases, I think we do prepare more. What I'm advocating is that in sales, everything should be prepared. And that means spending time actually before you meet with people to be clear on the objective of the conversation, you know, let's start there. What do you want to accomplish during this meeting, this call? Because if you're not clear on what you want to accomplish, it's hard to know if you've done that. Mm -hmm. So in sales, a first call might simply be to establish the bare minimum of qualifications. So the other day I was using the example, I I work with a lot of people in construction. So roofers often only deal with shingle, not metal, because it's different materials, different processes. So an early qualifying question for someone who says, hey, I want to get a quote on my roof would be, what type of roof would you like, shingle or metal? Mm -hmm. And if they say metal and I don't do that, It's a very quick call. Of course. Right? Of course. Unless I double check and I make sure what was it that wanted that that caused you to want metal? What do you have now? What has been dissatisfying about that? And under what circumstances might you consider doing shingle roof instead of metal? So just because it sounds like a no-go at the beginning, it doesn't mean I'm not going to continue to qualify. But if I don't know at the beginning of the conversation that that is an important question to ask early on, then I could waste their time and mine and the person, if it's me or the salesman that I had to book the call for. Now he's gone out to the home, he looks at it, and the buyer says, I want metal. And he goes, why did everybody waste my time? Absolutely. I don't know why it is that people don't, even when they know there might be a but in the equation, they leave it for last. And uh, that's such a poor strategy. And I don't understand it, but a lot of people do it. And I always say, bring your weakest point up to the front. Right. And then you, from there, you can only, it can only go better. It can only get better. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, that's also been always my approach, but I'm curious in that trail of thought when you start qualifying and you start, you know, making a differentiator. Usually, in my experience, you get to the, we've always done it this way answer. Yep, that's very strong. And there's another one that's even more hidden. 
And it is the traditional sales that's been taught since the 50s relies very heavily on collecting yeses. Mm -hmm. The philosophy is the more you get the prospect to say yes, the more likely they are to say yes to your proposal, Mm -hmm. which is hogwash, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. because the buyer is going to buy to solve a problem. The buyer is going to buy what they think is going to solve that problem the best for the price that they are willing to pay. Mm -hmm. So collecting yeses that never get to the point of finding out what the buyer thinks is valuable and what the buyer is willing to pay is it's a waste of time. Absolutely. Because it'll it'll still end up being a no, no matter how many times I get them to say yes through the process. Yeah. So that is ingrained in the way people are doing sales who have not really been trained or they only do what's been done to them. Mm-hmm. So this bad habit gets perpetuated. It gets passed down, not because of schooling, but because most salespeople, most Most business owners that sell, and that's really the target audience for my book, is the small business owner, the solo entrepreneur, the freelancer, who has never had any kind of sales training. And they have other responsibilities besides sales. They they wear a lot of hats. Yeah. So they got into business because they love what they do, not because they wanted to sell it. And sales is... Oh, and it just hurts me to hear this, but I hear it so often. Sales is just a necessary evil to stay in business. Ah, yeah. no. Yeah. What if we could change that perspective? Please let, let me help you change that perspective. Sales is honorable. It's about solving problems. It's about helping people find the best solution that's going to meet their needs. And and you getting the satisfaction of helping them do that, whether you're the one that meets that need or you're just someone who helps them along the way to get to the right resource. So no, it's not evil. It's good. It's based on helping, not hurting. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. What a great perspective. Yeah, I always say more than a salesperson, I'm a value creator. And I always say if in every interaction I can create value, even if it means making an introduction different from what I sell. But if I recognize that my product or what I serve is not the win-win you were talking about, then I cannot do it neither. So at that point, I much rather you know, pass the opportunity to someone else that I know on my trusted circle, because I know in the future they'll do the same for me. Right. And then it comes full circle. But the problem is most salespeople, they come from these protective, you know, they don't want to pass you the names of the customers. They think everybody, you know, is going to get ahead. And that's unfortunate. It's like, I'm with you. It's that change in the mentality. And that's what I think is so brilliant about your book. I'm a Christian, so I'm an easy sell on, on the figure of Jesus. But if you go historically, I, I read about a lot of religions and I'm familiar with many. And, mm-hmm. and n- almost none of them, I don't think any of them, denies the presence of Jesus as a great prophet. Right. You know, then how they, whatever the figure is in Christianism is different, but they all say he was a great prophet and he was good yeah. at what he did. 
Yes. And uh, so I think that's powerful in your book because it's not a book only for Christians. It's a book mostly putting Jesus at the center of great communication, at the center of uh, of sharing his message in such a powerful way that he was a great salesperson indeed. I appreciate you bringing that up. It really does come down to ethics, doing the right thing for the right reason, in the right way, at the right time. That's what it all boils down to. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, I, I praise you because it's a fantastic work. And, Thank uh, you so much. and I mean, I could, I could talk for hours, but I am forced to ask one last question. And I know okay. I'm pretty much, and people are not looking at the video, but uh, I can see already what it's going to be, which is I ask people about what makes them tick besides, you know, what they share already. Is there anything else that makes you tick? Yes. So from the time I can remember, from the, from the time I was able to hold crayons, I have had a love affair with color. And early in life, learned the rainbow and the proper order to draw the rainbow, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, violet, and actually started taking art lessons when I was six years old. Mm. Um, my grandmother, Grandmother Miller, was an artist who painted China. Mm. Beautiful work. And so I have kept with, I've developed that skill. Took lessons for about eight years during childhood and again for 10 years in adulthood. So I paint as a form to worship the Lord. So I, most of these paintings were done during a church service. Oh, wow. They're beautiful. I mean, I definitely, you know, if, you. If, definitely if there's a link where my audience can see, but some of them are really, really pretty. You're a yes. great painter. I'll make sure to send you that link so you have it. I'll just mention it. Yes. It is worshipfulart.com. Okay, well, that's great. It's a beautiful work. And uh, it can tell, you can, it shows that it connects you with something bigger. Yes. Yeah, beyond me. Uh, what I do is pray and ask the Holy Spirit what he wants to show the congregation. What, what does he want made visible? So I'm taking from the invisible realm and making it visible. And the, the beauty of artwork is that people can connect with God through looking at my art through a direct connection. I don't have to translate I don't, people will say, well, what, what was God saying to you as you were painting? And what, what do you think the painting means? And I'm always very cautious to acknowledge, of course, he was talking to me, but I'm more interested to hear what did he show you? What do you see? What does this piece of art speak to you? And it, what comes forth is beautiful stories of how God touches people's hearts, even brings healing. It's very humbling for me to, to be that instrument. And that's literally all I am. I'm a conduit. I see color and shape. I express it on the canvas. 
but God is interacting directly with the people who look at it. Wow, that's it, very special. Thank you. Very, very special. Thanks for sharing that with us. So no, that's fantastic. Asking. No, and <laughs> is there anything else in Deb's world that's inspiring that you want to share with the audience? Anything else before we part ways? I would say be hopeful. Look at the things that bring you joy. Engage in words that uplift, that bring life. Speak life to the people in your life. Focus on the good. Focus on the beautiful. Focus on the lovely. And talk about it. Share it. Shout it from the rooftops. Because God knows there's enough negative speak to carry us, yeah, for an eternity. We don't need any more of that. So I'm encouraging you to be a voice of hope. No matter who you're with, look look for the good, call out the good, recognize the good, appreciate people, say thank you, and life will get better because you're helping bring life, life-giving words. You definitely sold me on that. Amen. <laughs> you sold me on that idea. I thank you for that. That's so beautiful. And, uh, you know, I appreciate all you do and that message. And um, next time I hear all salespeople are crooks, I'm going to send them to you because you're the living example that, you know, we can be good people and there are good people there. Absolutely. And, and I value so much the fact that of your vision of overturning that bad rep that the sales force gets because it's there's so many good people out there that really want to create win-win relationships and the fact that you're helping spread that that you know mission it's it's amazing so thank you so much for for being here it's been my pleasure it's been so much fun thank you deb until the next time everybody thank you for listening you've been listening to back to basics you can follow us on instagram and facebook If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you, and until the next time.